You're listening to the Veritas Podcast. Veritas is the college ministry of The Crossing, a church in Columbia, Missouri. We're helping move the hearts and minds of more college students to believe that Jesus is more. To get connected, find us on social media at Veritas Como. We hope you're encouraged by this message. Freedom. Don't it feel good? Now, to put my cards on the table a little bit, I'm not actually a huge Justin Bieber fan, whatever impression that just gave you. Uh, I'm not against the guy. His music's just not, like, my thing. Uh, But my boss and friend, Kyle Richter, huge believer. He's all in. Yeah, there he is. (laughs) Um, But he showed me that song recently, and I could not get it out of my head. That line in particular, freedom, don't it feel good? Now, that's obviously a rhetorical question because, like, who's going to disagree with that statement? Freedom clearly feels good. Everybody wants to be free. We want to be, you know, free to live life however we see fit, free to determine not just what we want but how to get it, free to say yes to the things we want to say yes to, no to the things that we want to say no to, and, and the freedom to, you know, decide the difference between those two things. Freedom is a, is a universal desire I don't think that's an accident. I think that God made us to be free. I think from the very beginning, God told us how to live, but he always gave us the choice to obey. He wants us to live freely, choosing to follow him, to do things out of joy, not out of, uh, you know, like begrudging obedience or obligation. But I think this leads us to a question, and this is a question I just want to spend the rest of our time tonight answering together. How are you going to live with the freedom that God has given you? How are you going to use your freedom? So we're going to answer that question by continuing in our sermon series through the book of Galatians. Quick reminder, Galatians is written by the Apostle Paul. He wrote this to a small church of people in Galatia who are trying to follow Jesus just like us. And so it's not written you know, directly to us, but it is very applicable for us as we figure out what it means to follow Jesus. And in this letter, Paul lays out two ways that we can live, two separate ways that we can use the freedom that God has given us. So first, let's look at Galatians 5, verse 13. Paul says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. So Paul says that one of the ways that you and I are tempted to live with the freedom God has given us is to indulge our flesh. What does that mean? Uh, The flesh gets used in a lot of different parts of the Bible, and it's usually in different contexts, and it means different things. But here, Paul is talking about our bodily desires. One of the best definitions that I could find is from an author named John Mark Comer. He used to be a pastor out in Portland. Um, Now he writes books. This quote comes from his newest one, Live No Lies. So Comer defines... uh, What's the word? We're talking about flesh. (laughs) Um, He says... Basically, it's our base, primal, animalistic drives for self-gratification, especially pertaining to sensuality, which he defines as sex and food, but also to pleasure in general, as well as our instincts for survival, domination, and the need for control. So the flesh is, in part, our desires for things that feel good. Food, drink, sex, entertainment. 
And, and to be clear, those are not bad things. I actually think those are things that God gives us. But when God gives us a desire, he gives it to us for a purpose. And that purpose is in part, yeah, to feel good. God wants us to enjoy good things. But when God gives us good things to enjoy, the greater purpose there is that we would then glorify him through enjoying those things. By appreciating the gifts, we glorify and honor the giver. But the flesh, it's not interested in glorification. It's not interested in honoring anybody. It is just interested in gratifying itself through consumption. So the flesh takes, you know, the gift of sex. Great thing, but it looks for it anywhere it can find it. The flesh takes the gift of alcohol and drinks until it is drunk. The flesh takes the gift of entertainment and just binges with zero boundaries. The flesh likes to feel really good, and it has no end to its appetite. But the flesh is not just things that feel good. And the flesh also encompasses some of the darker, harder to talk about parts of our hearts. Paul actually gives us a list. Uh, Galatians 5 verse 19 says, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Pretty wild list. So <laughs> while the flesh is our desire for sex and drink and feasting, it is also the part of our heart that feels stuff like hatred, that is brought to rage, that is selfish and jealous and leads to division. So the flesh takes God's good desires and it corrupts them. It causes it to look for them in things that are definitively not good. The flesh wants power and control, and so it uses people. It steps all over them to get what it wants. The flesh wants sex, so it pushes for it in a relationship, no matter how the other person feels. It coerces and pressures because all that matters is that the flesh feels good. The flesh wants praise. So when other people are getting praise, the flesh becomes envious and it seeks to tear people down. The flesh's appetite is endless and it has no shame about how it is filled. So that's one way to live. One way that you and I can use our freedom is to indulge the flesh, both the things that feel good and the darker parts of our hearts. We can just consume the gifts that God is giving us and ignore where they come from and what they were intended for. But thankfully, Paul presents another option. He says in verse 22, still in Galatians 5, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, which just means patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So the second option that Paul presents for us to live is to live in the Spirit. Again, let's pause. What does that mean? What Spirit is Paul talking about? I think the simplest way to describe it is Paul is referring to the Holy Spirit that is given to us when we confess faith in Jesus as King and submit our lives to him. So in, in part, that Spirit is, is literally the presence of God in us. But Paul says that it's not just something that we're given. It's not just something that we receive and hold on to. It is something that we have to live into. So when Jesus died for you, he justified you in the eyes of God. He took the blame and the consequences of your sin, and he died for them so that you would not have to. And as a response to that, as a response to the grace that Jesus showed us, we obey him, we trust him, and we listen to the commands that he has for our life. 
We love God and we love others directly as Jesus commanded us to. And the cool thing is that the longer that we do this, the more like Jesus we become. We call this sanctification. Through living as Jesus did and following his commands in your life, we become holier, more set apart, more like God. In Paul's language, we bear fruit. If we are truly obedient to Jesus, if our lives and our hearts have been changed, then we will live in a way where those things, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, those would become increasingly true of us in our lives. So before I go any further, I want to make an important distinction because I think it's, it's pretty easy sometimes when we start talking about the Spirit and obeying God and bearing fruit uh, to seek to develop those fruits individually, to say, oh, okay, so like, I'm just going to go be more kind tomorrow. I'm just going to go be a little bit more patient, have a little bit more self-control. That's not what Paul is talking about here. That's not true obedience. We have a, a phrase we use around here. I don't think it's like crossing exclusive, but I hear it here a lot. Uh, that's like stapling fruit to a tree and then claiming that that tree is alive. That's not how it works. Uh, trees only produce fruit when they are connected to a source of water that have deep roots and are truly alive. In fact, when a tree is, is deeply rooted to a source of life, it can't help but bear fruit. It doesn't even have to think about it. Like an apple tree is not sitting there like, ah, man, okay, I'm healthy, and, and now i got to really work to, to produce apples. It is just a natural result of the life that exists in that tree. So in the same way, when, ta- when Paul talks about bearing fruit by living in the Spirit, he is not telling us to just go and produce fruit in our life for the sake of it. He's saying that we need to firmly plant our roots in the source of life, which is Jesus, and then fruit will naturally follow. Jesus actually explicitly tells us that we need him in order to bear fruit. John 15, 5, Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So if we want to walk in the spirit, our first step always, always needs to be to grow in faith, to grow in understanding the love that Jesus has shown us. If obedience to Jesus is the goal, then we need to know who he is, what he says, and how he lived so that we can follow those things. So this is the other way to live. And this is the the other option that Paul has given us. We have faith, we obey, and then we become more like Jesus. So those are the two options. Either we're going to live and we're going to indulge the flesh, or we're going to live in the spirit. We're going to obey and we're going to produce fruit. Those are the two ways that you and I can, can use the freedom that God has given us. And God, in his loving nature, he lets us pick. Clearly, he wants us. I think, you know, I don't have to explain it or spell it out. Like, between those two options, God wants you to be faithful. He wants you to produce fruit. But he wants you to do it joyfully. He wants you to pick that. He doesn't want to just force you into submission. But I think, if you're like me, you have a question now. Why can't I have both? If Jesus really did die for me, if, if, if my sins past, my sins present, and my sins future are truly erased by the blood of Jesus, then why can't I continue to just have a little bit of fun in the flesh while moving closer towards the Spirit? Well, thankfully, Paul addresses that pretty directly in verse 16. He says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, 
and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. So Paul says that we cannot have both because they are inherently opposite from each other. If the flesh takes our God-given desires and twists them, it distorts them, it makes us seek that gratification in things that are not from God, then when we indulge the flesh, we're not just sinning. We are actively running away from the Spirit. We are training our hearts to want things that are not of God, from God, that are not God himself. So Paul actually says something similar to this. Uh, He gives us this list of the fruit. Um, Sorry. He says something similar when he gives us the list of the fruit of the flesh, which we talked about earlier. That's the sexual immorality, division, hatred, uh, all the rest. And then he says this in verse 21. He says, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's pretty intense. Those who live indulging the flesh will not inherit the kingdom of God. So, again, we're going to pause. I know we're doing this a lot. Uh, But I want to nuance this because I don't want you to think that this means that your sins are not forgiven. I don't want you to think that if you're living in the spirit and then you fall back into the flesh, that that means that all of a sudden you've kind of like bought your way out of the salvation of Jesus. That is not true. If you are living in the spirit, if you are following Jesus, trying to submit to Jesus as your king, and you take your sin to him, and you are repentant, and you ask for forgiveness, God rejoices in being able to give that to you. That is why he sent Jesus in the first place. So we're not talking about you somehow being unforgiven by living in the flesh. But what this does mean is that sin slowly kills us because we just want more and more and more. There's an example that always sticks out to me, um, and that's John Mayer, famous musician. I don't think I need to tell you who John Mayer is, I hope. Uh, Back in 2010, he was doing this interview, I think with Playboy magazine, and I don't know how they got on this topic, but they were talking about his porn addiction. I don't claim to know where he's at with this now, that was 11 years ago. He might be in a totally different place. I, really, I hope he is. Uh, but this is kind of back in, in, the, in the deep throes of his addiction. He said this. He said, by the way, pornography, it's a new synaptic pathway. You wake up in the morning, you open a thumbnail page, and it leads to a Pandora's box of visuals. There have probably been days when I saw 300 naked women before I got out of bed. That's nuts. That is not good. But I think we have to recognize that John Mayer probably did not start his pornography addiction here. He probably started it like anybody else does, slowly, infrequently, just kind of indulging here and there. But then, over time, it became what he wanted. He wasn't just falling into the temptation. It wasn't like he was trying to live for the Spirit. I don't even know if he's a Christian, but like, it wasn't like he just occasionally fell into this temptation and and indulged his flesh. No, it became what he saw in life. And before too long, he's looking at hundreds of naked women before he's even started his day. So by living in the flesh, we're not just like failing to live in the spirit. We are actively moving away from it. They are opposed. So maybe the question for us to ask tonight isn't, why can't I have both? Maybe the better question is, why do you want both? If your heart's longing is the flesh, if you find joy in things that are apart from God, 
If, if giving up the flesh to inherit the kingdom of God is excruciating for you, if that feels impossible at times, I think it's worth asking the question, do you actually want the kingdom? Is the kingdom of God actually what you want? If God's kingdom is holy and pure, then the things of the flesh do not exist there. They are apart from God. They will not be in the kingdom of God when it is fully restored. So if the flesh is all you want in life, why do you want to spend eternity in a place where that stuff is not? Maybe, and I get the severity of this question, but I think I'm asking myself this too, maybe what you want is the opposite of the kingdom. You think the flesh satisfies, so you want you know, a land where you can just kind of indulge with no boundaries, nobody to tell you otherwise, where the only thing is the flesh, no God, no goodness, no spirit, no fruit, just the flesh. You know what we call that? That's hell. And I don't say that lightly. Please, like I, I don't say that lightly because I think this is a huge thing that I have to pay attention to in my own life. I want to take all of my desires and gratify them just as often as I possibly can with as little boundaries around it as possible. I would love to live a life with no restrictions and no rules. I want to run from obedience and things like holiness, because if I'm honest, when I'm in those seasons of living in the flesh, obedience and holiness, that sounds boring. That's not what I want. And if that's truly how I feel, no wonder it's so painful trying to live obediently, trying to live faithfully, trying to follow Jesus, because that's not actually what I want. I don't actually want the kingdom, and I don't actually want God as much as I say I do. So we feel like God telling us how to live is slavery because it keeps us from what we really want, what will really make us happy. But that's a lie. That is a lie that Satan is telling you. It was, you know, Justin Bieber said it earlier, Satan is a liar. He will use any tool, any cultural message, any insecurity in you to tell you that your life is supposed to be about feeling good. God tells you that your life is about being good. Satan wants you to feel good. God does too, but your life is about so much more than just gratification. Satan wants us to believe that the purpose of our freedom uh, is to feel good, not to be good. He wants us to believe that we can't possibly find happiness in life if it doesn't involve the flesh. But I, here's what I want to ask, uh, a hopefully humbling question, hopefully gently. Um, what if God knows better than you? What if the God who created the universe, who made you, who made me, who knit us together in our mother's womb, who delivered his people from slavery all throughout the Bible, who sent his son to die for your sins so that one day we could fully exist in his presence again. What if that God knows better than you do about what is ultimately going to make you happy? What if God is not keeping you from what you want, but he's keeping you for a peace and a happiness and a satisfaction that you cannot even begin to imagine now? What if obedience to God is the truest freedom out there? Because instead of just having circumstantial joy, things that come and go and, and disappoint us at times, instead of just having that joy, you become joyful. Instead of looking for peace and temporary pleasures and distractions, you can have the permanent peace that comes from knowing that Jesus paid it all once and for all. Instead of having to choose between happiness and holiness, you can have both by living in the Spirit. You really can. 
I know that is hard to believe at times, but God does not want you to just be holy and sad. That's not true joy. The Spirit will bring you joy. So I was talking to a guy the other day, just asked him, hey, how'd you uh, come to be at Veritas? I like asking people that question. I'm always curious how they found their way here. Uh, and his story like, was not at all what I was expecting. Uh, it actually happened because of a fight that he was having with a friend. And from his own mouth, it sounded like a pretty serious fight. He was saying that uh, he was actually pretty honest about the fact that within this argument with this friend, he said some pretty hurtful things. And instead of responding in anger or by running and hiding, this friend stuck with it. They were patient. They were committed to this conflict because they wanted to resolve it. And by the end of the conversation, this friend, she says, hey, you know, I got to be honest. I don't think I want to forgive you, but I'm going to because that's what Jesus did for me. And then she said, hey, I actually have to go. I'm running late. I'm headed to this thing called Veritas. Any chance that you want to come with me? And he did. And then he came back the next week. And then he came back the next week. And then he joined a small group. And now he's actually serving here at our ministry, trying to help other people come to love Jesus. He's bearing fruit that is affecting people's lives in the same way that that friend did for him. Because here's the truth. How we choose to use our freedom is going to tell a story. Our lives are either going to be devoted to the flesh and they are going to communicate that Jesus really isn't worth all that much, that Jesus does not change that much about our life, or our life is going to be devoted to the Spirit. Our life is going to communicate that Jesus changes everything about the way that we live, that Jesus alone is everything. I mean, talk about your life telling a story, right? Like, had that girl blown up on him? Had she taken the insults that he was throwing at her and, and let that resolve into to rage and hatred or if she had just run away, like, and then she goes, oh, by the way, I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I got to leave. I'm headed off to go worship Jesus with a bunch of people. Like, she would look like a huge hypocrite. That's not a Jesus that anybody wants to follow. That's not getting that guy in the door. But instead, she remembered her forgiveness and the freedom that she has in Jesus. And her life showed fruit of the Spirit as a result. Her life told a story about Jesus that made this guy want to hear more. That's why he came to Veritas, is because of the fruit that she was bearing. It's a really, really powerful story that I need to remember more often, that our lives can do the same thing. And not even just individually, but as a, as a broader Veritas community. Imagine just for a second what it would look like if your roommates and your classmates and your friends and your parents and your fraternity brothers, and your sorority sisters, and your professors, and your coworkers, and your bosses, and all the people in the different spheres of your life were able to see fruit. What an impact that would have. I mean, imagine the effect that would have on Mizzou's campus, on Columbia College's campus, on the city of Columbia. Because it's not just you, it's all of us doing that together. What if we as Veritas were a community of people who didn't just say that we believe in Jesus, who didn't just talk about Jesus, who didn't just make it an intellectual activity to say, yes, I'm a follower of Christ. But what if we actually started to look like him? Not immediately, but more so over time. What kind of effect would that have? I think a really big one. And I know it's really easy to have somebody stand up on stage and just kind of toss a bunch of platitudes out and say, hey, go love people. Uh, I don't, I don't want to do that. So as the music team comes back up, 
I want to get really practical and just ask you a, a pretty straightforward question. How do you want to use your freedom just this week? I know that the week before Thanksgiving, we're getting close to finals. You're probably in an exam week right now. Some of you might feel like you are drowning in homework and projects and exams. So how are you going to use your freedom? Are you going to turn to the flesh? Are you going to be rude to people and impatient and just use the stress as an excuse? Or will you be patient and kind to people and their stress? Because that's exactly how Jesus treats you and yours. Are you going to turn to drinking and porn and entertainment to numb that fear of failure that you might not actually do that well on your exams? Or will you show others the peace that comes from having an identity in Jesus that is firm and solid and is not dependent on your exam scores? Are you going to become envious and angry at the person who has a better grade than you, who does better on the exam, or maybe who already has a better grade and like doesn't even have to study as hard because they can eat a C and you can't? Or are you going to share joy? Are you going to celebrate that person's successes because you realize that they're not a threat to you? They're not a threat to how you're living, your happiness, or how God sees you. If you're not in exams, I'm not. And then look forward to next week, Thanksgiving break. Some of us, it's really hard to go home and spend time with family. Some of us, it's just hard to go home and be away from school for a week. Are you going to be selfish with your time? Are you already making plans to just binge a bunch of shows on Netflix, to play video games, to, to do whatever you do? Or are you going to are you going to be loving? Are you going to spend good time with your family, even in the moments where that's not actually what you want to do? Are you going to be angry and dismissive and reclusive when you get asked about your life, when your family's prying, saying, hey, when's the girlfriend coming? Or when politics get brought up at the dinner table, or when your family, the extended family, just won't leave? Are you going to be angry? Or will you be patient and kind and gentle, seeing those people and treating them like Jesus would. You have the opportunity in this coming week and then in the rest of your life to be a breath of fresh air to the people around you. Not because of anything you've done, but because of everything that Jesus has done and how they get to see Jesus through you now and increasingly so. So I want to go back to that very first question that we asked tonight. How are you going to use your freedom? God gives us the freedom to live and how we do so tells a story. Are you going to tell the story of death or are you going to live out the story of true and everlasting life in Jesus? Amen. Thanks for listening to the Veritas podcast. If you were encouraged by this message, make sure to rate us and hit subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This helps other people find our content so that they can be encouraged too. To stay in the loop with what we're up to, follow us on social media at Veritas Como. Thanks again for listening.